2: The Browns-Bills game has been moved to Ford Field in Detroit due to a snowstorm that is hitting Buffalo. The Lions tweeted: "Important numbers are by the phone. Lock up when you leave, and please don't break." That's the
3: hilarious. Tables. That is That's hilarious.
2: Well done. <laughs> now, here, here's here's why they moved it. Because I saw people complaining, "Oh, they can't play in the snow. Football is supposed to be played in the snow." Oh, this isn't man. about playing in the snow. The snow may be over by then. This is about putting an unnecessary strain on resources that are going to be needed to help the citizens of the area deal with up to six feet of snow. So this is a responsible thing to do. And I've gotten emails from people. Yes. Oh, they they're trying to help Very the money. Bills win because Nick Chubb would run all over them in the snow. There won't be any snow on the field. The field will be covered, the cover will be removed, and the snow will be over by Sunday at 1. This is this is one of those games where you just see the mountains of snow all the way around the field. There there likely wouldn't have been any snow on the field at all during the game. So this is about public safety and this is about responsibility. To your community. That's why this game was moved. Because somebody else tweeted, "Well, this is why every team should play in a dome." And Brian McCarthy, the NFL chief spokesman, said, "This isn't about the dome. This is about the community." And it was the right call they had to make. It. They they kicked the can as long as they could, but those forecasts weren't getting any better, Peter. They had to get that game out of Buffalo, and it made sense to move it to Detroit because the Bills play there next thursday against the lions on thanksgiving they couldn't move it a day it would have screwed up the thanksgiving schedule that would have been not nearly enough time for the bills to get ready so it just worked out perfectly the lions aren't at home this weekend the bills and the browns play there and and off we go the game gets played and you know i yeah it's not going to be as exciting as it would have been out in the snow and all the great pictures that we see in a day like that but again it probably wasn't going to be snowing during the game so at least they get the game played in a smart and responsible way it was the only decision to
3: make. And I and look, everybody loves snow games. Uh, I, I Some of my favorite NFL memories are snow games. You know, covering the... How about Michael Vick on a Saturday night in the playoffs, going into Green Bay with Atlanta and winning a snow game? I, I mean, Michael Vick, when I say of all the people I've ever covered in terms of happiness after a game, he was beyond giddy. After that game, you know, beating Brett Favre in the snow at Lambeau Field. And so those are fun things. But this is the only decision that could have been made. It's the right decision. And at some point, we have to put sports in their proper perspective. We don't do that in the United States. And that's a problem sometimes. And when people start complaining about, you know, the fact that this game had to be moved... Uh, You know, you need to go sit on the sidelines for this one because you're talking nonsense.
2: And it is unfortunate it had to happen, but it's happened from time to time. We've seen games get moved to different locations due to weather. And this was the most fair and appropriate outcome. A neutral site. Close enough to Buffalo, close enough to Cleveland, too. The NFL told me yesterday they're finalizing their plans for tickets Brandon Bean, the Bills GM, said yesterday that the ticket's are going to be a lot less expensive than they ordinarily would be. It gives folks in Detroit who want to do a little advanced scouting on the Bills an opportunity if they don't want to stay home and watch the Lions play <laughs> the Giants. So, it's you know, it's I don't know how many people are going to be there. They've had games they moved in the past where they've just given the tickets away. And there was a, a, a game, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago that was – Moved due to wildfires in Southern California when the Chargers were in San Diego, yeah. and it was just make a donation. You free, come on in, make a donation to the to the effort in San Diego. The, didn't they play forward. at Sun
3: Devil Stadium?
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, they did. Mike we moved you know, to a Monday honestly, night. Honestly,
3: yeah. I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what. What. What I think when. You know, when we talk about moving this game or when you talk about moving this game, I think that, you know, sort of the symmetry of this, you know, it's such kind of a cool thing. This is one of my first thoughts that that somewhere Ralph Wilson is smiling about this because Ralph Wilson, who lived his entire life in Detroit and owned the Buffalo Bills, would, you know, fly into Buffalo all the time, but he never moved there permanently because he was ju- he just loved Detroit. So there was always this connection of the Bills with the city of Detroit. And so now the Bills go with you know the wounded buffalo Bills. Honestly, and now they go to salvage their season you know in the home of their beloved former owner Ralph Wilson playing two games
2: in 5 days there. And In the interest of being factually accurate, I'm looking at the L.A. Times on this note. October 27, 2003, the Chargers hosted the Dolphins at Sun Devil Stadium, and it was already going to be a Monday night game anyway. So they didn't move it to Monday night. They just moved the location because there were horrible wildfires. In San Diego, Donnie Edwards, who played for the Chargers at the time, said, I remember you could see all of San Diego County just glowing red as they left town for that one. So weather... Whatever the event is, it's going to intervene from time to time. And the NFL has to make responsible decisions, and they made the responsible one here. Now, as it relates to the Bills making responsible decisions with the football, Josh Allen's been criticized for some red zone turnovers. He had two interceptions last week as the Bills were moving up and down the field against the Vikings. But Patrick Peterson picked him off twice in the second half, one of them coming in overtime. Here is uh, Josh Allen talking about his habit of trying to do too much at times and what he plans to do to fix it
0: again i i'm just trying to make the best play and sometimes that's that's the best play for our team and um you know it's that constant i can make a play or you know i can trust somebody else to make a play that that you know i've uh, I've, I've battled with my entire football career and trying to do too much sometimes and it'll hurt you so again just playing playing quarterback the right way in the smart way and Again, allowing our guys to make
3: plays in space and not always trying to force the ball downfield and uh, just getting back to that.
2: Peter, we bookended the two Vikings stars from Sunday. You spoke to Justin Jefferson. I spoke to Patrick Peterson. And the thing I took away from Peterson was they're starting to pick things up in the film. They're getting a little too predictable. They aren't staying ahead of the curve. They, They know what the book is on Josh Allen when he breaks the pocket. They know what to look for. They know the tendencies. Even though... He's going off schedule. The problem is, you go off schedule enough, you develop tendencies, and that's what Patrick Peterson and others surely are picking up on. Yeah,
3: you know the one thing about this game, Mike, and and I'm unfortunately I had to rely on highlights, um, being in a hotel room five thousand miles away. But the one thing that I thought in this game. Is that on those two throws, that was Josh Allen as a rookie. And he wants to make a play so bad. And you just heard him talk about it. It's how he battles with his inner self sometimes. And one of the reasons why I am not at all worried about Josh Allen. Zero worries whatsoever. You cannot play the position... For a year and a half at the level he has played at until the last two weeks. You cannot play at that huge, high, vaunted, uh, great level of football for such a long period of time. And you have two bad games say, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, Josh Allen, big trouble now. You know, he's going to have trouble coming back from this. He is not. He's going to be fine and he's going to be great. And, and look, it, it, you know, it would still be a matter of discussion if you said to me, you're starting a franchise right now, who's your quarterback for the next 10 years. Be tough between Mahomes and Josh Allen. I'd probably take Mahomes, but if Mahomes has a hangnail and they say, well, you know, he might be hurt. Okay, give me Josh Allen and I'll be fine. You know, I, I just don't have, because he self-polices, okay? In the offseason, when he works out with Jordan Palmer, Jordan Palmer always takes what he needs to be better at, and they drill and drill and drill and drill. And I'm sure Ken Dorsey does the exact same thing once he gets to training camp. So I think this this worry about Josh Allen, I'd be worried about him, you know, say for this week, Whether it might happen again in a close game late, maybe it will. But for the long term, I have zero worries about Josh Allen.
2: Well, and we've seen some similarities, I think, between Allen and Mahomes as it relates to becoming intoxicated by the uncanny skills that they have and wanting to use them. Mahomes wanting to get the ball down the field to Tyree kill. And part of the maturation process for a young quarterback with this incredible set of God-given skills is to teach them when to use them responsibly and when to not excessively rely upon them. And part of the problem may be the Bills are excessively relying upon Josh Allen and not being sufficiently creative in structuring plays, calling plays, like Andy Reid does with Patrick Mahomes. That's the key. When you've got this great talent, it increases the obligation of the coaching staff to use it the right way. And it can't just be – and Josh we trust. There has to be more than that right. when you get to these moments where you need your guy to make a big throw, and he needs to be listening to that voice in his head. Especially on that last one, the one that yeah. ended the game. Well, I don't know I don't know what he was trying to do there. Now Peterson said there were there no, he was no Buffalo Bills. Nobody was close. I mean and, and and it's almost like he threw it right to Patrick Peterson. I mean, it it would have been a hell of a throw to thread that needle, but, but the aim point was too low and too far to the right.
3: But, Mike, this is what I found myself thinking, okay? So let's just say, like it's second down right here. So you now have two plays to convert, okay? You don't have just one. You have two plays to convert. That's what drove me crazy about this play. Okay, so that's the first thing. The second thing about it is that nobody wants to tie. I get it. And, you know, a tie is some evil language. But what would you rather be right now, 6-2 and 1 or 6 and 3? I mean, seriously, what would you rather be? 6-2 and 1 or 6 and 3? And so, obviously, you'd rather be 6-2 and 1. And the game was set up for them even if they fail on the next two plays. The game is set up for Tyler Bass to come in, kick a chippy, and for them to, you know, have to stop uh, Minnesota for what? He, they'd get the ball back with, I don't know, 40 seconds to go. I, I don't even know what. But they were set up to tie that game at the worst. And so that, that would bug me. That would really, really bug me uh, if I were the Bills right now. And that's the thing. That would, I'd leave the game just basically saying the worst alternative is to lose. It's not a great alternative to tie, but it sure
2: as hell is better than losing. Let me say this as somebody who rode the entire roller coaster in the fourth quarter and overtime, with all the ups and downs and twists and turns, and the ride keeps yeah. going even when you think it should be over, that game had to have a winner and a loser. That game just. Cosmically, could not have ended in a tie. Too much stuff happened in that game. From really the two-minute warning. Well, you could also make for the point there not to be Mike a winner. You could also make the
3: point that both teams deserved to come out of there with something in this game. Or you could also make the point neither team deserved to win. In this game, you know, especially after Josh Allen fumbles the snap from Mitch Morse at the goal line, which that is a play. I need the Zapruder film on that play because I still don't understand. I saw it very grainy. And Mike, I don't know if you've you've actually looked at this a few times. I looked at it like five times. I can't figure out why Josh Allen fumbled that snap. It
2: looked like it was right there. On consecutive snaps in that game, in critical moments, they used our idea of ha- not not quite the way we constructed it two weeks ago, but the idea of taking full advantage of the rule that allows someone to push the ball carrier, C.J. Ham. Tried to push Kirk yeah. Cousins into the yeah. end zone on the play that fell short and Gabe Davis was in motion and he stopped right behind Josh Allen. And maybe that's the thing to look for in the Subruder film. Was that act of Gabe Davis trying to push Josh Allen? Did that happen? And here it is, you'll see him come in from the right. And the idea is Allen gets the ball and Gabe Davis pushes him. It's not like he started pushing him before he got the ball. So forget about that thing that I it just the whole thing, it just doesn't make sense. And it may be as simple as Mitch Morse freaked out because he knew he was going to get killed from every possible direction as soon as he snapped the ball. <laughs> I mean, it
3: could be, and but but I also have to hand it to the Vikings for not just saying, uh, okay, for not just basically giving the bills, the easy snap, kneel down, whatever it would have been, okay. Because at that moment in time, you've got to figure, this is it. You know, that's it. And the fact that Minnesota, whoever it was, I don't think it was Eric Kendricks, but whoever dove over the top, I mean, that's a football team right there. That is a team that says, hey, listen, we will do anything humanly possible to win. That's a team you want to root
2: for. It was the Greg Shiano move under situations where it is acceptable. That's the moment where you do it. Not out at the 20, but you do it in that spot because they had to move the ball off the point. If it had been a safety, they would have gotten the ball with a chance to win it with a field goal. It was just amazing. Just one of the many crazy, kooky moments that happened in that game. All right, we're going to take a break when we return. We'll shift our focus back. By the way, by the way, the Bills are still in Buffalo, and they're not practicing today because of the snow, so they've yet to make their escape to Detroit, and hopefully they'll be able to find a way out of there in time to to get to the game on Sunday. When we return, we'll rip through some of the other matchups to come in Week 11. We'll do that next year on PFT Live. The FIFA World Cup kicks off this weekend. Team USA will make its World Cup debut on Monday back in a World Cup again after missing the 2018 Cup in Russia. The young stars of the U.S. men's national team led by Christian Pulisic will face Gareth Bale and Wales Monday at 1.30 p.m. Eastern on Telemundo and Peacock and Español. Forget about Rosetta Stone. You watch the World Cup on Peacock in Spanish, you're going to pick up a second language. It's got... It's got a dual purpose. I think it should count as school credit somewhere. Peter. Mike,
3: I really want to learn how to say goal in a voice that lasts 13 seconds. If you can do that, then you have conquered your World Cup fandom. And by the way, in football morning in America Monday, I will have a preview of the World Cup from the great Grant Wall. We talked yesterday. He is in Qatar. You know, and I wondered about that. Do you pronounce it Qatar or Qatar? And Grant Wall said, I'm pretty sure it's Qatar because I saw a television advertisement and with uh, Qatar Airlines and they called it Qatar Airlines. So I said, all right, that's good enough for me. If Qatar Airlines calls it Qatar, I will now stop calling it Qatar And I will call it Qatar. So, see, there was a a time I thought it was Qatar. A preview for you.
2: There was a time I thought it was Qatar, and then uh, somebody was calling it Qatar, and I thought I saw somewhere that Qatar was the right way to say it. So now it's Qatar. Well, either way, either way. Football morning, (laughs) F U T B O L morning in America. Is coming up one yeah, week after good, Football good. Morning in Deutschland. We've got Football Morning in America yeah. on Monday, and it won't be in. Spanish. You know what I loved, Mike, if- when
3: you put that up. You
2: put that up last week, the Football
3: Morning in Deutschland, and you made me look like a German with the Lederhosen and the hat. <laughs> and I said that is a good look for me. And so one day, <laughs> like I, I don't know what day it'll be, like maybe for Halloween one day, I'm gonna dress. With the funny green hat and Lederhosen, hosen, however you pronounce it. So anyway, thank you for that. I kept
2: waiting for you to show up with a monocle last week, but you disappointed me in that. Uh, <laughs> Hogan. All right, let's, get, uh, let's get to some more. There it is. There See, is. it would have made the look. Oh, I forgot Tom Brady was in there. There he is. Okay. <laughs> um, week 11. Zach Wilson needed a couple of those giant mugs of beer after the last time he played the Patriots. Here he is on the emotions he felt after that three interception day just a few weeks ago at home against Bill Belichick and company.
0: Zach, you were pretty emotional when you came off the
3: field against them a couple of weeks ago. How, how do you yeah. put those emotions, keep those emotions
2: out of the way from this game? I thought they were good emotions. I mean, I was frustrated, and, you know, I still believe nobody outside of this building knows what they're talking about. So. Uh, well, I do. Did. You did? <laughs> Why'd you turn down a coaching position? We told you that. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, so... Um, Look, Zach Wilson, I talked to him after their most recent game. And his attitude about the whole, you know, criticism and everything, he just – he's and he's young. I don't know how he doesn't hear it, but he just ignores it and uses it as motivation, and he understands. because He's got the support of his coach and his GM. They get it. It's just a few bad plays. It's not like everything he does is turning to crap. It's just a few bad plays, and that becomes the focal point of all the criticism. Mike.
3: This is what I thought when I heard that. I said, listen, people outside the building, you don't have to be a football coach. You don't have to be a football expert. You barely have to be a football fan to know that two of those three interceptions against the Patriots were lazy, dumb throws. You know, they just were. You know, the touchdown pass where he just floats it in the air to Devin McCourty what in the world are you doing what are you doing and so i just thought to myself when i heard him say that i said you know look just just be careful just be careful and also learn how to throw the ball into the third row of the bleachers can you please do that you know like this is the interception that really bugs me he just he just threw it away instead of throwing it outside and on that play, Mike, on that play, he is outside the tackle box. All he has to do because he was throwing it away. All he has to do is throw it five yards to the right, and it goes out of bounds. That And so let's not say that people don't know what they're talking about. We do know what we're talking about. Those were dumb throws. Period. And I like Zach Wilson, but come on now, be fair.
2: But the point is, it was just a couple of plays. Now, they were pretty big plays, but it was just a couple of plays, and he's otherwise doing well. The key is he's got to resist the temptation to try to make something happen once he's put in the effort to get out of the pocket. Once he's run away from trouble, it's still okay to just throw the ball away or run to the sticks and get out of bounds. Bengals taking on the Steelers. They met way back in Week 1. The Steelers surprised them in a game the Bengals should have won, had multiple opportunities to win, including all you got to do is kick an extra point at the end of regulation and you win the game they're coming in at five and four the exact same record they had last year through nine games Steelers at three and six after picking up a win against the Saints coming out of their bye. how different do you think this Bengals team is from the one that we saw back in week one that just seemed to not ultimately be able to get out of its own way it's it's very interesting Mike because
3: now when you look at the Bengals you know, and they're going to be playing without their most valuable receiving weapon against a division rival. Um, they've had some great games against the Steelers. I think the biggest thing that I look at now is that they truly are a team that can beat you in a multiple uh, or in multiple varieties, and and by that I mean, you tell me right now after watching Joe Mixon and not just last week but in recent weeks. You know, you tell me that Joe Mixon isn't a gigantic threat, not only running the ball, but in being the receiver that when Jamar Chase was playing, that they didn't really ask him to be as much. And right now, if I'm Joe Burrow, I'm thrilled that we have developed this new side, uh, you know, taking advantage, I think, of the ability of Joe Mixon to catch the ball out of the backfield, and not just sort of on the wheel routes that all running backs run. I think you're going to see them use Ber- use Mixon more and more in the passing game, and I think that's a good thing for Cincinnati.
2: Well, and the key is the offensive line starting to play better. You know what happens with an offensive line? When it's not playing well, we hear how bad the offensive line is. When it's playing well, we hear how good Joe Mixon is. That, that yeah. that's, that's one yeah. of the... Thankless realities of being an offensive lineman in the NFL. You become less noticeable the better you are at your job because the others are the ones who get the praise and the glory and they're the ones that people want to talk to after the game. So that's the reality. But the Bengals' offensive line is better. The Steelers are still dangerous, especially at home. And T.J. Watt's back. And Micah Fitzpatrick could be back after having an appendectomy. And, and who, who knows? With the Steelers, who knows? They're capable of looking very good. They're capable of looking very bad. They're capable of pulling a rabbit out of the hat when the stats would suggest they should have lost by 20. They still find a way to win by one point, and that's the only stat that ever matters. Raiders at the Broncos, Nathaniel Hackett put it best, although he wasn't trying to be funny this week when he said somebody's got to win this game, which may be the kiss of death for a tie. The Raiders are 2-7. and seven, The Broncos are 3-6. and six, And the Raiders just got humiliated at home by the Colts, after all the dysfunction and disruption and distraction that the Colts went through that week, the Colts go in there and beat them. You've got Derek Carr saying some guys don't care about it the way I do. You've got Devontae Adams saying some guys haven't bought in. You got Josh McDaniels, the first year head coach saying everything is fine. This is fine. The little dog in the burning room. This is fine. It seems anything but fine. Peter, who do you think finds a way to get their focus right and execute right and get this victory?
3: I keep thinking that one day the Las Vegas Raiders are going to realize that, Hey, what's that noise in this room? What is that noise over and over day after day? And why? Oh, that's the alarm clock. Oh, okay. I, I, I really should turn that off. I should answer that <laughs> alarm because to me, you know, the alarm has been going off for too long and I keep wanting to say, this is the week of the Raiders. But Mike, Mike, You know, Derek Carr is on a six-game streak of not throwing for 300 yards. And I get that they've had injuries that Hunter Renfro and, you know, Darren Waller are not whole and have not been whole. And I get that. I understand that. But a quarterback should be able to lift his team, should be able to lift his offense. Only he knows about the full effort or partial effort that he is getting or not getting with his teammates. But I will just say this. It's, a, it's the wrong week to get right when you're playing the Denver defense. And look, at some point, the dam's going to break. And the Denver defense is going to basically say, we're tired of carrying your sorry rear ends offense, Russell. And someday it's going to break. It might be this week. I doubt it. Mike, I, I, I don't know why I'm saying this, but I kind of like Denver even though I do not trust them to make a single play on offense.
2: Yeah, they may not have to. You hit the nail on the head. And the Raiders were 1-4 right. and four through a very difficult five-game stretch to start the season. They had a bye week six. And coming out of it, hey, here's the opportunity to start winning games. And they look good against the Texans, and they get humiliated in New Orleans, 24 nothing. They lose at Jacksonville, 27-20, and then they lose to the Colts with a guy who was not in the coaching profession at all, one week before that game was played. So th- this one, this one, I think you're right. I think your instincts are, are accurate. The Broncos have enough and the Raiders, I, something's got to give here. And it's clear. It's not going to be Josh McDaniels. Cause Mark Davis doesn't want to pay the buyout. I think we may be seeing the last few games. Derek Carr plays for the Raiders, unless he and Josh McDaniels can get on the same. Hey Mike, by the way,
3: quickly, let's, by the way, can I yes. just give you, can I give you the most valuable three words that I will speak? In this two-hour show, here they are. Go. Take the under.
2: (laughs) The over-under is 41.5. I think that's good advice. I can't imagine. I am taking the under all day, baby. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) That seems like a typo. Are we sure it's not 31.5? And even then, it would seem a little bit high. All right. Let's go ahead and take a break. (laughs) I'd take the under on that. (laughs) Have another Tough test this weekend. After checking the box in Buffalo, here come the Cowboys, and they're favored to win in Minnesota. We'll talk about that game when PFT Live continues right after this.
0: Welding instructor Alex DeClair knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go, look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash impact.
2: Cousins back to throw on fourth and 18. He's given time. He wants Jefferson. Climbs the ladder. Oh, my goodness. That is awesome. I saw that yesterday, and I watched it over and over again. It is perfection, and the baby smiling at the end. I like the dog at the beginning. The dog's like, what do you want from me? The whole thing is great, Peter. (laughs) Look at that. That's awesome. The only thing you don't have is the safety with both hands on the ball behind him. (laughs) Yeah, you you need somebody else helping Justin Jefferson keep the ball from touching the ground. One of the craziest plays <laughs> I've ever seen. One of the craziest plays we'll ever see and great work there. Uh, the baby's open. The baby makes the catch and the baby's very happy at the end. Hey Mike, great one side. thing okay. about that
3: can can I, because obviously I've not yeah. been on the whole week but here's the most amazing thing at least to me All right. and look, there's a lot of amazing things about that catch but when I talked to Jefferson from the locker room afterwards, he said and I almost quote, that Kirk said to me in the huddle, hey, I might just throw this up to you. And and I just started to think after we got off the phone, I said, well, if you're Kirk Cousins, that's the only move that you possibly could make because there are no plays in the game plan for 4th and eighteen. They don't exist. So what do you do? You look at the guy out on the playground who's the best player of all, and he just said, hey, you and I, we're going to make something happen here. We're going to make a play. I'm going to throw the ball up to you. Just try to figure it out how to come down with it. And that's exactly what Cousins did. And I just think that that is a great example when you hear coaches say, hey, look, we can scheme, we can diagram, we can practice all of these things. But at the end of the day, players have to make plays. That was Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson taking it upon themselves to survive and advance
2: in this game that could change the course of their season. We've got two photo services we use, Getty Images and USA Today Images, and there are multiple still shots of that catch from the moment the ball arrives to falling to the ground and most of them you look at it and you say justin jefferson ending up with the ball is by far the least likely outcome based upon that flash that moment it's still incredible that it happened and and this is the challenge here it is let's take a look at this i i don't care how many times i watch it him how does he catch that ball. I don't think he knows. How does how he, he take that ball the ball? How does he have the strength to steal the While ball hitting the ground from the
3: safety? While hitting the ground, Peter. It's just slamming his body against the Mike, ground. You know what that is? That's the regular season version of the Velcro catch. David Tyree. He's saying yes. there's no yes. way he's gonna come down to the ground. Because look. The safety there, it's the same thing as Rodney Harrison on David Tyree. It's the exact same thing. And somehow, someway, David Tyree velcros the ball to his helmet,
2: and the Giants win one of the biggest games in their history. Now, when David Tyree did it, there wasn't a game next week for the Giants. Obviously, they won the Super Bowl. The last time the Vikings had a moment like this was the Minneapolis Miracle. The case came to Stephon Diggs, who both witnessed that catch in Bill's uniforms on Sunday. The Vikings went to Philadelphia and lost 38-7. to So, after everything that's happened this week, that rush of euphoria, that crazy-ass game, the media attention that's been focused on the Vikings, the challenge is to turn it around and get ready for the Cowboys. Here's Kevin O'Connell, head coach of the team, with an 8-1 and record on all the media attention that has come their way after that epic victory. Uh, don't worry much about anything other than just the opportunity this week because we really haven't earned anything up until this point. I, I do feel like we're confident. I do feel like these guys believe in what we're doing here, but at the same time, uh, we've got to go prove it each and every week. We know that. that's the key and it's one cliche after another we heard similar things from Kirk Cousins this week but they have to stay even keeled and the key is they have to find a way this is the Bill Belichick mindset you have to completely forget last week happened good luck good luck with that you have to forget it happened and you have to focus on the task at hand because everything you did last week comes crashing down if you lose 27 to 10 to the Cowboys on Sunday and you know look you know
3: I've been thinking a lot about this game. You know, I woke up this morning, I looked at the schedule, and I say, man, that is an impossible game to call. The reason it's an impossible game to call is that you and I both know, especially because, and I think Ezekiel Elliott is playing, right? So they will be, the Dallas Cowboys will be buttressed in the running game. And so they will be better in the running game. And Mike, I think it's a bit of a cautionary tale recently. You know, the, the reliance on Dak Prescott, to me, I really want to see this team run the ball more, try to control the clock, keep the ball away from the Minnesota offense in this game. And I think that is what Mike McCarthy's message is going to be to his team this week.
2: Let's win time of possession. Ezekiel Elliott was limited in practice both Wednesday and Thursday as he returns from a knee injury. So, so far so good. At least he's out there on the field and he's participating. And, you know, Peter, this Vikings defense lost in what happened on Sunday. They just were up and down the field. They couldn't stop the Bills until... They absolutely needed it. And Ben, but don't break. Sooner or later, you're going to break if you keep that up. And again, the Cowboys favored by one and a half in this one. The Cowboys, three and oh all time at U.S. Bank Stadium. So it's their home away from home. The Eagles going on the road on a short week after losing at home to the Commanders on Monday night. They add defensive tackle in Dominican Sue yesterday, just one day adding veteran defensive tackle linval joseph so more bodies in that rotation on the defensive line as the eagles try to address some of their weaknesses as the postseason approaches and you know this one's one of the most intriguing games of the week because can jeff saturday do it again against a team that isn't the raiders in his home debut and those fans are going to be very happy to welcome home one of the popular players from the great teams of the past and he he made them all look good by going to Las Vegas and getting a win after that crazy week. The the, the Eagles better be careful, and Sims was saying this yesterday. The Colts match up well with the Eagles. This this could be be a, a surprising outcome, Peter. As we get ready to see the Colts in three standalone games the rest of the year, this is one where they really could put everyone on notice that for all the craziness that happened a week and a half ago, they're ready to contend. Look, Mike. Here's the craziest thing of all, right?
3: I, in my opinion. So, and again, I'm not saying that 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 Matt Ryan is a great quarterback right now at this point in his career. But Matt Ryan played well last week. Matt Ryan wants to be vindicated after being benched. Who wouldn't want to be vindicated after being benched for Sam Ellinger? Okay, and. He now has a chance to go home to get this crowd behind him and to play well against a team that got punched in the jaw on Monday night coming off a short week going on the road. I'm, I'm not saying I like the Colts in this game because I don't. But I am saying that it will not shock me to see the Colts win this game.
2: And at six and a half points, I expect the Colts to keep it within that margin, even if the Eagles – do get a win but this will not be a a, an easy game for philadelphia and then they turn around and have to go home in prime time against a very desperate packers team that had extra time to get ready we're going to learn a lot about the eagles in the coming weeks they still have the giants twice they play the cowboys on christmas eve you know, I, I thought it was uh, very premature when they got to 8-0, talking about them possibly going 17-0. and Every team is going to hit adversity at some point, and this could be it for them. It's going to be a heck of a test against the Colts and Jeff Saturday and company. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we return, we'll focus on the Sunday night game. For the second straight week, we'll see the Chargers on NBC. This time, Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs come to town. We'll discuss that next on this Friday edition of PFT Live.
0: Again, quick tempo and picked off at the one yard line. That is Watson out in front all the way for the touchdown. Unreal.
2: Kansas City Chiefs taking on the LA Chargers Sunday night. The Chargers, I look at that record five and four, and it's like, how are they five and four? Uh, and it's going to be hard to get to six and four with the Chiefs coming to town. They had that game week two, Thursday night, kind of an epic early season game. You had the rib injury to Justin Herbert. He fought his way through it. And, and, you know, this is the only real threat right now in the division to the Kansas City Chiefs. And in theory, the Chargers are still alive, Peter. But boy, the Chiefs feel like they are clicking right now on both sides of the ball, but particularly on offense. Here's the thing about Kansas City.
3: You saw this at the beginning of the year, and and Mike, I, I, I saw this in training camp where Patrick Mahomes, you know, in the practice I saw was hell-bent on getting his new receivers ready to go. You've seen it even though now Juju Smith-Schuster, you know, is is out for a bit. You've seen it with Juju Smith Schuster. You've seen it a little bit with Sky Moore. You've seen it with Marquez Valdez Scantling. You're going to see it more and more with Kadarius Tony. This is a team that is very good at getting new weapons for Patrick Mahomes up and ready to go. And when they traded for Kadarius Tony to the Giants, with the Giants, I, I remember seeing a lot. I mean, what? I mean. Why do they need Kadarius Toney? They're doing fine. The whole point is you always need reinforcements at the wide receiver position because everybody is always getting banged up. You know, it just always happens. And so to me, I kind of look at this team, especially with Brett Veach, I think doing a great job as general manager, building a deep, deep team, which is what you need to do in the NFL. And he's building a deep roster, and that roster is going to pay off for him down the stretch.
2: Well, absolutely. And the Kadarius-Tony thing was more of a long-term play. I don't think they expected to get this much out of him now, but it's one of those things where he gets in the building, he's healthy, and they're like, holy crap. Yeah, yeah. this is this is why multiple teams want to not make use him a first-round pick. Yeah, let's use him. Let's work yeah. him into play. And especially with Miko Hardman on injured reserve with an abdominal injury, Juju Smith-Schuster, in the concussion protocol after the hit that he took on Sunday. You've got Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who missed practice Wednesday with an illness, but he was back on a limited basis on Thursday. But, you know, this is the post-Tyreek Hill Kansas City Chiefs. It's a bunch of different guys who aren't complaining if they don't get the football. They're ready when their number is called, and they just keep going. And we see them getting better and better offensively every week they found something in Isaiah Pacheco in the running game they're running it better than Andy Reid teams usually do their defense is playing well enough and at seven and two now they they caught the Bills they passed the Bills after they lost to Buffalo I was like well the road to the Super Bowl is going to go through Orchard Park no the Chiefs can still recover like they did last year when they lost at home in the regular season to the Buffalo Bills. It could very well be. If there is a rematch in the postseason, it's back in Kansas City all over again. And that's what the Chiefs are playing for. They know the stakes. They want to play the Bills in Kansas City. They know if they have to go to Buffalo to play the Bills, it's not going to end well for them.
3: Mike, this is this says everything about Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes is on pace to throw for more yards without Tyreek Hill than he threw with Tyreek Hill. And that is what I want out of my great quarterback. I want him saying in the off season, there's no excuses. I don't care if Tyreek Hill is gone. We will be better. And lo and behold, they are, I, I, I don't know that I would say yet that they're better, but They have a very good
2: chance to be better without Tyreek Hill than they were with him. For the Chargers, they've been without their two top receivers in recent weeks, Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. They were limited in practice on Wednesday. Both appeared to be doing more drills at Thursday's practice. Allen said Thursday he thinks he'll play. He's had a hamstring injury. They have not played a complete game together all season long. Surely that's one of the issues why the Chargers haven't been as good as they need to be. But, Regardless of who your receivers are, when you have a quarterback like Justin Herbert who can make all the throws and who just looks you know, like he's he's a giant out there who moves like a guy who is much shorter than 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six. he just hasn't hit his potential this year. And I don't know if it's the after effects of the rib injury and he's not a guy who's going to complain about it. He just keeps going. But it, it just hasn't been... Look at that throw. It just hasn't been what we thought it was going to be this year, Peter, for the for the Chargers. But they're still on the right side of five hundred. And they get a chance again in prime time to take on their their arch rivals from Kansas City. Hey, look, they've
3: played Kansas City well. Justin Herbert has. So, who knows? But I guess I would say, Mike, that I, I, don't, I find it hard to be blaming... Justin Herbert when when you look at their receiving core they've only gotten 43 catches and three touchdowns through 10 weeks out of Keenan Allen and Mike Williams and you know they those are absolutely desperately needing piece needed pieces out of your receiver room and you're right they just haven't been there enough this year And again, I understand that Keenan Allen desperately wants to come back and everything, but I'm telling you, if I'm the medical people with the Chargers and I'm Brandon Staley, I'm saying I would rather have you back on December 1st feeling absolutely pristine than to come back with a chance to re-injure it in a game that's really, really important I, I I don't know, Mike. I I hope, I really hope for the Chargers' sake that they're not rushing
2: anybody back. Look, this is a big game if they have designs on trying to win the division, but at some point you have to be realistic. They're competing for a wild card burner. Yeah. And they have the same record as the Patriots right now, and technically the Patriots have the seventh seed with tiebreakers, et cetera. But the Chargers would be in position to try to get one of those three wild card spots. I, I, I can't imagine it holding that all three teams from the AFC East get the wild card berths. But you know what? We could have three teams in the AFC East and three teams in the NFC East get wild cards by the time it's all said and done. But the Chargers would be a factor. And if they get to the playoffs, we'll get a chance to see what Justin Herbert is really all about. And maybe he'll have his best receivers back. When we return, show me something draft for week 11. We'll do that right after this on PFT Live. Do
0: you know Dan Campbell at all Yeah. You, yeah, as, as a matter of fact, when I was the coordinator uh, for Tony Sperano, uh, Tony said, hey, I got this guy that um, I think would be good. I just, uh, you know, why don't we interview him? You don't, you know, you, you take care of the interview. So I interviewed Dan. Um, it was a great interview. I mean, he's slamming chairs on the ground and hitting walls and going through all these drills and, and you guys know him he's a fantastic person great family and uh it was an entertaining uh, interview uh, knew a lot obviously very passionate uh, tough as nails you could tell but in um, fact he was he was out of breath in half that interview the stuff he was doing
2: Brian Dayball is going to face Dan Campbell and the lions at home this weekend. It's show me something draft for week 11 from that game or any game, Peter, you got the first pick. Show me something. Derek Carr, Derek Carr. I want
3: you to channel those emotions into a game against a really good defense, the Denver Broncos that no one is, is expecting you to blow up in, but I just want to say one thing about Derek Carr. Average yards passing per game without Devontae Adams last year, 283. Average yards passing a game this year with Devontae Adams, 236. Change the narrative, Derek Carr, start it Sunday against
2: Denver. Show me something, Baker Mayfield, back under center for the Carolina Panthers because P.J. Walker suffered an ankle sprain last Thursday night against Atlanta. This is it for Baker Mayfield. If he wants to show he can be trusted to be a starting quarterback and not just a Mitch Trubisky-type Band-Aid until he's benched For the first-round pick that is drafted by the team that signs Mayfield, this is the time to reestablish himself. This is his second chance or his third chance, as the case may be. Either way, it may be his last chance to prove to everyone that he can be a viable starting quarterback in the NFL. And it starts, hmm, in Baltimore against the Ravens coming off of a bye. Show me something, Zach
3: Wilson. In fact, show me something 53-man roster of the New York Jets. The reason they have to show me something is that we watched the game, whatever, three weeks ago, and we watched how the New York Jets were better than the New England Patriots all over the map, except at quarterback. And Zach Wilson actually made a couple of good throws in that game, but he also made three, through three interceptions, uh, the final one, just a lazy, lazy interception uh, from, you know, to Devin McCordy. So show me something, Zach Wilson, in Foxborough against the all-powerful, great and mighty Belichick. Show me something that you can win a game that your team desperately needs to win
2: to ensure that you stay on this playoff path. Show me something, Taylor Heineke, because the worst way you could end a week that began with an unlikely victory in Philadelphia against the 8-0 Eagles is to go to Houston and lose to the 1-7-1 Texans, especially at a time when the indications are starting to point toward Heineke keeping Carson Wentz on the bench once the finger is healed. I think for now they're just taking their time before they say who it's going to be for the rest of the season because they want to be sure that Heineke can get it done when we expect him to to get it done we didn't expect it on monday night we didn't expect it the prior sunday and he almost pulled it off against the vikings if you stub your toe and fall flat on your face against the texans expect to see carson wentz under center sooner than later let's take a break round three of the show me something draft when this friday edition of pfd live concludes right after this There are the picks so far in the Show Me Something draft for week 11. Round three is upon us. And Peter, you're up. Show Me Something,
3: Jalen Hurts. And Jalen Hurts is already this year in in anybody's top five for MVP of the NFL. A week ago at this time, he was number one for me. Um, But the reason why I want him to show me something this week is that you know, there's a, there's a single crack in the foundation. You lost a Monday night game. You didn't play bad, but you didn't make enough plays to win that game. And Quez Watkins kind of helped. But, but you go on the road to a dangerous spot. A weirdly dangerous spot. Nobody would have thought two weeks ago that this was going to be uh, even a challenging game but I think it will be now. And so show me something, Jalen Hurts. Steady the ship. Get this team back on the right track to winning home field in the NFC.
2: Show me something, Jalen Hurts. Show me something, Joe Burrow, and not just those awesome white-on-white uniforms with the white helmet and the black stripes they'll be wearing in Pittsburgh. This is a Difficult division game for the Cincinnati Bengals. They need to start separating from five hundred. They need to knock out the Pittsburgh Steelers, who can be very dangerous down the stretch and potentially make a run at the division crown if they start getting a little more confidence. Could you imagine them completing a sweep of the Bengals with all the struggles the Steelers have had? Joe Burrow is the guy who is going to be primarily responsible for slamming that door shut on pittsburgh he's the one that needs to lead the charge on sunday before we go peter terry mccormick who's been covering the titans for years reports that todd downing the titans offensive coordinator was arrested for dui early this morning and the arrest another report at 3 a.m central time uh looks like there was a little bit of a celebration after that victory that maybe went too far if these allegations are accurate Yeah. And Mike, you know, we'll have to wait and
3: see uh, if if this is confirmed by the authorities. Um, But obviously, this is not something that the Titans can just gloss over if it is true. So we'll wait and see the truth, the the veracity of this report. Uh, And if it's true, Mike Vrabel's got some action to take.
2: Yeah, and I don't doubt Terry McCormick. He's been covering that team and only that team for a long time. We'll update that at PFT. Enjoy the games this weekend. We'll see you Monday.
1: At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period.